Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to episode nine of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Content at Open Banking Expo and your host for today. And I'm joined by Michelle Bayo, a board member of the Open Banking Initiative Canada and CEO and founder of Finnovator. Open Banking Initiative Canada, or OBIC, is leading the drive and acceleration of open banking in Canada through a unified voice. OBIC is also a key media partner for the upcoming Open Banking Expo event, which takes place later this year on the 16th of September. More news on that event will be announced soon, so stay tuned. Finnovator, the company that Michelle founded, works to bridge the gap between fintechs and traditional banks. She joins me to discuss the work that OBIC is doing, its manifesto and where Canada is on its open banking journey, as well as the idea behind launching Finnovator. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Ali. Very excited to be here and uh, also excited to be partnering with you for the event in September. Yeah, that, we're looking forward to that very much. And um, I know I kind of gave you a very brief introduction there, uh, kind of summarised your, your kind of background, but perhaps you can give us a bit more detail on your career to date and, and where it all started for you, if that's okay. Yeah, I would love to. Um, so I actually have quite a diverse background. Um, when I look back, both my parents were entrepreneurs. I probably should have jumped in the space a lot sooner, um, but I spent uh, 20 years in the corporate space. I actually did six years in telco, eight years in online shopping, affiliate marketing, three years in prepaid, uh, working for one of the largest prepaid companies globally, running their sales and marketing team in Canada and launching their B2B division, getting great exposure to their 30 countries globally, and actually launched WeChat at 7-Eleven in, in Canada. Uh, so, so started to see what fintechs uh, were bringing to the table uh, and the pace of technology um, from that perspective and got really interested with what prepaid was able to do for the underbanked and underserved, um, as well as um, trying to utilize that infrastructure as you started to see for challenger banks. Um, so while being at that organization, I got exposed to what was happening in the UK and I actually jumped out into a blockchain company as a chief client officer for a company focused on consent being on the blockchain for GDPR and open banking. Um, so spending a year with that organization um, and then having the, the absolute honor of being chosen as one of 30 women for Money 2020's Rise Up program out of 500 applicants globally, I decided to take the leap of faith and jump into my own company, uh, which is Finnovator, a fintech consultancy largely focused on payment innovation in North America, um, and started that in July of 2019 and love being an entrepreneur and, and driving innovation and, and helping banks get there faster and fintechs grow uh, to scale. Yeah, and we're going to delve a bit more into Innovator in a bit, um, but I thought we'd start with OBIC um, and find out more about uh, that organization. So 
Um, what was OBIC set up to do and how did you become involved? Yeah, so OBIC was set up in 2019, uh, late in the fall, by two founders, one from the UK, uh, Bupinder Singh, and one from Canada, uh, Christian, um, as well. So as they came together, they, they realized, both coming from API-driven organizations, that looking to the UK and how quickly it was moving uh, into the slow pace happening in Canada, that there needed to be an organization uh, to be a voice to drive this forward. Uh, and in that drive, uh, they created the non-for-profit OBIC and uh, started creating just working groups of volunteers to, to really move forward. And their first initiative was to create the manifesto. Um, so I got introduced to Christian uh, in August of 2020, uh, and we were having discussions. Um, he's a very passionate person about Canadian consumers and SMEs uh, being the focus of open banking um, and the framework. And as we were chatting, um, I, I feel very honored to have been offered the board seat. Uh, it's my first board seat. And as I was offered, I actually asked, you know, nine women and two, sorry, nine men and two women uh, just didn't feel aligned to my overarching brand as I was um, part of Women in Payments Global Council, part of their awards committee and part of being Money 2020 Rise Up. I asked if he'd be open to committing to a 50-50 uh, board, gender diverse board. And he's like, oh my goodness, I have two teenage daughters. I absolutely align to that initiative. Let's do it. Uh, so really proud to say that we are on a mission to get to 50-50 from a gender diversity as well at the end of 2021. And we now have three women. We've reduced the men. So we are three to six uh, and looking to grow to uh, a 50-50 initiative by the end of the year. That's great to hear. And, and that kind of sets a standard, doesn't it, I guess, for the rest of the industry in Canada? I hope so. Um, there's only 17% uh, women representation across boards uh, across Canada and, and hopefully we can help drive that uh, to the number that that it should be which is I believe 50-50. Yeah absolutely and um, I mentioned in my introduction uh, about OBIC's manifesto so can you tell us a little bit more about that as well? Yeah definitely so we actually had 32 working group members who all volunteered over a year uh, to get together an 80-page manifesto on open banking a force of good and why Canada needed to move now um, and in this 80-page manifesto uh, which I, I think we did something like 20 versions of before we finally released in March of 2021 um, I, I had the pleasure of, of working really closely with the groups to, to get it to its current state. Uh, and really, it's trying to give um, insights into what's happening globally. What were their frameworks that were launched in the UK and Australia? Um, where is the current market? It, it's largely a global arms race to open banking. Uh, and unfortunately, Canada is still sitting at the starting line. Uh, we've had a lot of great discussions over the last five years. but not a lot of movement just yet. So we were really trying to depict not only what's happening globally, but why it is so important to make the framework um, not about the banks, not about the fintechs, but about the consumer and the SME and what they gain uh, and how the framework has to be put together to ensure that they, they have the best benefits uh, coming out of open banking. And I understand that um, the framework you've um, 
you're thinking about over there is a kind of market-driven approach, right? So so what would that look like for, for Canada? Yeah, so I think the market-driven approach is, is just the current state. I don't think it's the ideal state. Um, I think we're very similar uh, to the UK. We're a Commonwealth country. We have an oligopoly uh, infrastructure uh, from a banking perspective. And similar to the UK, I believe we need a government push uh, to mandate open banking so that we can get there faster and we can get there with the right framework. Um, I do think the US is going to drive forward with a market-driven approach um, and can be quite successful with it just because they have over 10,000 banks. Um, I don't think everything in the US is market-driven. Um, I think Canada, we're trying to um, facilitate what we can in advance of, of government mandate. But I do believe for our true success in Canada that it does have to come to, to government involvement. And um, it's interesting and, and particularly timely, given that uh, we're recording this podcast the same week that uh, the OBIC has written to the new Canadian finance minister um, in a kind of effort to get the ball rolling. You mentioned that Canada is still very much at the starting line. Um, and, and in your letter, you know, you're kind of um, calling on, on, as I say, getting the ball rolling and launching Canada's open banking ecosystem. So um, can you tell us what the letter says and, and why did you, you feel the need to write it? Yeah, thank you. Um, so we felt the need to write the letter because in Canada, there was um, a Senate committee that had gathered in 2019 to write a report on why Canada needed to move forward with open banking. And that was, um, I believe, in June or July. Um, and unfortunately, there's been no movement since then. Uh, we had first consultations. Uh, the report came out late. We finally, thankfully, due to our new uh, finance minister, um, did get our second consultations at the end of November, early December, with all parties at the table, uh, banks, fintechs, VCs. Uh, some really great discussions occurred, though I do think uh, consumers and SMEs were, were not part of the discussion. Um, the most important part of that was there was meant to be a second consultation report that was meant to come out uh, from the finance minister. And that was supposed to come out in January, February, March, April, and May. Um, it has been said that it has been imminent uh, for many months, yet we are sitting at June 1st was when we sent the letter. And we've largely sent it because um, government is going to go into summer recess and it does look like there might be a fall election and we do not want this item this really important uh initiative considering that we're still at the starting line and it seems like the world has moved eons past where we are considering brazil mexico um, australia new zealand singapore the uk and the and the uh uae we haven't moved. We're the last in the Commonwealth, and I don't think we can afford waiting till next year uh, for this report to come out. So we felt the need to send this letter in hopes that the report would be released before the end of June. Is there any sort of particular reason for the delays? Is is that something you know you you're kind of informed about, or or not really? Yeah, unfortunately not. I can say that Senator Deacon, who's also a part of our Open Banking Insight series as a moderator, and we've just completed 10 episodes, um, he was just on the Senate floor yesterday uh, asking the same question. Um, we sent a letter and, and he asked a question in person in regards to the report. Um, and um, there's not a lot of insight. 
um, all they they can say is um, COVID, I guess, uh, potentially uh, from a delay perspective. But I, I think COVID should only accelerate the need for this in regards to how digitized um, Canadians have become. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen the report, but just on the weekend, there was a report out that the banks have had record high profits and they're also increasing bank fees in Canada um, in the midst of COVID. And it, it just seems offside in regards to Canadians just trying to, to be able to survive financially through a lot of these hard times and, and with the banks having record profits because they are not regulated or mandated to force into a competition-driven ecosystem um, and allow Canadians to have the rights to their data and be able to move to different providers with ease and security, uh, it, it does feel that it, it should be even more important to push out open banking now, uh, especially after that report. Yeah, and now you've, you've sent the letter, what do you want to happen next at a government level? Yeah, we're hoping that we're able to have a discussion with finance uh, department um, and offer any help that we possibly can just due to our research um, in the manifesto, uh, breadth of knowledge of the global landscape uh, and some of the regulation, just trying to, to help. How do we help get this uh, to move quicker? And how did the industry react when open banking was sort of left out of the most recent budget? Um, which I understand was kind of something something of a surprise, was it? So I think that we were all hopeful. I don't think it was a surprise. I, I think uh, just considering that there might be fall elections, um, that this has been the first budget in two years from, from the Liberal Party as well. Um, we were happy to see ARPOV, which is the Retail Oversight Framework, uh, have budget. Um, and come into um, the opportunity to come to market, which is giving more pay tax ability um, to, to work within the payments infrastructure, but very um, disappointed to see that there wasn't uh, additional budget put towards open banking and driving this truly forward, considering the UK went forth in 2018 and, and we're sitting in, in 2021 and, and we don't have any true momentum uh, driving this forward. Yeah, and, and what then are your main concerns? Um, you know, given that, um, as you say, it's you're sort of still at the starting point in Canada, um, and as a board member of OBIC, if, if the initiative is delayed further, you know, what, what concerns do you have? Yeah, I have a concern about uh, Bill C-11 as well, which is our proposed, um, it was proposed by the innovation minister in November of 2020, and then he retired from government. Uh, just because it's politically charged, it's an update to PIPDA, which gives the data rights to Canadians. So it's, it's a really pivotal aspect of moving open banking forward as well. And there doesn't seem to be many champions uh, to push this bill forward. Um, so I, I think there's a couple things, uh, that being definitely one of them, and, and how do we as an industry help drive that very important bill that protects Canadians and, and drives us closer to open banking forward, as well as um, ensuring that this report gets released. We know that they've had five months to review all of the insights that came out of the second consultation. There has been a lot of great discussions. Um, there's been a lot of good work happen. Uh, the now 
most important aspect of that is releasing that uh, into the market and getting us uh, off the starting line to the next step. I think there's a lot of engaged parties. You're seeing the banks not being uh, as adverse to open banking as they have been in, in the last five years. Uh, I think we're all seeing the writing on the wall that this is the next evolution of finance. Uh, and by being behind the, the starting line is, is not the best place to learn, grow, and get the best advantages for Canadians or consumers uh, in the sense of open banking. And you mentioned before how um, the Canadian market, banking market, is quite similar uh, to the UK's. So have you, have you been looking to the UK, uh, given that we're obviously slightly ahead here in terms of our implementation. Is there kind of a model there? Very much so. I, Canadians, we, we like to be fast followers is kind of, I think, the comment. And I think that was the goal of open banking uh, in 2018. We would look at the world and uh, learn from everything and, and be fast followers. But un unfortunately, we've kind of passed the time of being fast followers at the moment. Um, though there's still a lot of great learnings, I, I think we can catch up. Uh, the UK is a great example. I think um, there's definitely some challenges that you've had as you implement, um, but you only uh, gain the benefits when you're when you're first to market as well. So just seeing the six billion dollars of investments in fintechs in the UK in, in 2019 to Canada's 242 million, um, I think there's a lot of advantages for us to truly. Uh, open the ecosystem by jumping into open banking and drive out more investments. Though we've had a phenomenal year with Wealthsimple in Canada, um, similar to Robinhood in the US, they've actually raised $750 million, um, but they're, they're few and far between, I would say, in the sense of investments because the lack of regulation roadmap um, for fintechs to truly understand what is their growth potential within Canada. So I think there's there's a lot of opportunity that will be uh, available once we enact open banking. And sort of longer term, um, what are your hopes and dreams when it comes to open banking in Canada? Canada has been the most stable banking system, I think, as we've been called on a global scale for, for so many years. We're so trusted. Um, when I look at 97% of Canadians using our core five banks, um, I'm hopeful that open banking is going to help diversify Canadians' financial freedom and give them the opportunity to save more, um, to find the products that are best for them so that they're not $200 away from insolvency. Uh, Pre-pandemic, I'm concerned to where they're going to be post-pandemic unless we give them great options um, for better pricing. We have some of the most expensive banking in the world. And if we're increasing the cost of that instead of decreasing the cost of that, we're definitely on the wrong side of history. So I'm, I'm very hopeful that Canada, we are great at working together. I think it's time that we come together as an ecosystem and work to drive better solutions, better pricing, uh, and just ease of use of sharing our data with the parties we choose to share that with uh, as an ecosystem. And um, I'm hopeful that this is going to drive out Canada to continue to be a world leader, but to also be interoperable, to get off mainframes and move to cloud, um, and to have 
the right infrastructure instead of screen scraping, but API-driven data sharing for the future. Well, let's come on to Finnovator then, which is is the the company that you founded, um, and as I say, you, you're also CEO of Finnovator. So, um, can you tell us what what is it, and where did the idea come from? Yeah, I would love to. So, as I was saying at the beginning, in the sense that my background is quite diverse, I've touched telco and online shopping. Uh, affiliate marketing, loyalty, credit cards, prepaid, blockchain. Um, what I've realized uh, through my career is I'm I'm very focused on sales, marketing, and product creation. And as I won that Money 2020 spot and got to attend the event and really see some pretty powerful female CEOs as I was just coming out on my own, um, I was able to envision what I wanted the company to be. And truly what I want our organization to do is help banks get there faster, um, innovate, work with more fintechs, ensure that their customers are getting the services they need, as well as helping fintechs find the right strategic partnerships so that they can actually grow faster, uh, scale, and help Canadian companies largely, as well as U.S companies compete with the WeChats of the world, because I do think as it's a, a kind of a global arms race uh, from a payments perspective, we've really got to make sure that our North American infrastructure is with the times. And um, uh, I guess we've seen certainly in the UK, but also, you know, in other countries where open banking has been implemented, that so many um, partnerships have been formed between the incumbents. So, you know, the high street banks, uh, for example, here in the UK and of the startups, the fintechs. Um, so do you see a lot of potential there as well in, in Canada? I do. I think our banks really want to have these partnerships and some of them have phenomenal um, VC arms or venture arms, but um, many of them it's just so difficult to work with. If it's going to take six months to get an NDA <laughs> at some point, um, it, they just don't have the right infrastructure right now to move quickly. Um, and because, you know, just the structure and the conservative nature of the banks has held them back from a lot of these partnerships in the past. So I think there, there has to be good regulation so that there can be the right liability and the right opportunity for growth and in infrastructure. And I think by the UK having that very structured open banking regulation, as well um, as as the data sharing infrastructure, it's really helped you guys get there faster, um, and it's helped the banks modernize how they partner. And I think that's what I'm most excited about uh, for for Canadian banks as we run forth. Yeah, that's certainly something we'll we'll be keeping an eye on as well um, as as the market over there kind of gains momentum and and, and develops. And um, talking about Finnovator, you know that's a company that you started up yourself i mean what's the kind of biggest lesson that, that you've learned in, in founding that company and growing it yeah i think one of the biggest lessons i've learned is um you know just just take a risk I, I think at the end of the day um have a lot of um you have to get over imposter syndrome you have to just have confidence um i think there's a lot of women who choose not to put themselves up for a panel even um, due to thinking that they don't have the right expertise or don't put themselves up for, for a job because they don't think that they have checked all the boxes just yet. Um, and I think what I've learned, um, thankfully, due to a lot of mentors throughout my career, is just go for it. Like, 
if you're passionate and you care um, and you have the right intentions and you, you're able and willing to do the hard work, you can achieve pretty much anything. The only roadblock really will be yourself uh, in how you tackle challenges that, that you face. Uh, you know, I started my company two years ago and pretty much COVID started two years ago. So it's um, right in the midst of a, a global pandemic, but I, I think it's, it's all in your perception. And if you have um, a way to see the glass half full at all times, you, you find ways to continue to drive forth and love what you do, um, because that just makes every day uh, incredible. Uh, an adventure and um, try and drive out what you're passionate about. And I've been very lucky not only to have an organization and have uh, Finnovator employees that are, are passionate about payment innovation and helping companies and consumers, but I've also got opportunities to join not just the OBIC board, but I've also joined a board at a VC, um, which is Ideal Ventures, and their mission as well is to, to drive forth at 50-50, um, and they've invested in 20% uh, female-based companies, um, uh, almost 80% immigrants in Canada, and they, they really are driving forth on um, impact investing. And I think once you find your passion and you're able to drive forth a lot of things and opportunities um, that align to you come your way as well. And I think trying to help other people uh, come along for the ride or put them up for different speaking opportunities or help people find the right roles as you're rising up, um, only, you know, that rising tide lifts all boats is, is kind of the vision. Well, that's great to hear as well about um, about the VC firm and, and their efforts in that sort of 50 50, um, which which I guess is is so important. And with Finnovator, what what's your sort of ambitions for that over the next sort of five years? Say? Yeah, so my goal with Finnovator, um, we, we already service uh, two banks in the US, uh, one of the big five in Canada and about 15 different fintechs. Um, and my, my goal is, is to drive more growth and, and come into to bigger, um, to other markets, um, as, as well as just to ensure that we're driving a better customer experience through our work and um, really pushing the edge of innovation. Um, so yeah, I really hope to grow the team and, and help uh, the world get to the new vision of payments. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today and for all your insight into the Canadian market, uh, which has been fascinating. And obviously, um, it's very exciting that Open Banking Expo um, and, and OBIC are sort of partnering uh, on this, this event that we have in September. So um, we're, we're really looking forward to that. Thank you, Michelle. Very much looking forward to that as well. Thank you so much, Ellie. Thank you to the Open Banking Expo for all the great work that you guys are doing as well. We look forward to the June event um, that is more industry driven as well as the, the open event that will be in September. And all it leaves me to say is thanks to those listening. Uh, there are plenty of other episodes in the Unplugged series via the on-demand page on openbankingexpo.com. Goodbye for now.